Hi folks, welcome to the happysaver.com podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Today I'm telling you all about my sister Liz. While I inherited the saver gene, she inherited the spending gene. But a life of debt finally caught up with her and she has spent the last couple of years completely changing her mindset about the money in her life and is now firmly on a path to financial independence. ShareSite is an online platform that I use to keep track of my investments because although I have tried, my own spreadsheets just were not cutting it. If you buy shares or index funds each and every month, it's actually really hard to work out how your investments are performing. But ShareSite does all of this for you, including working out all of your tax obligations. You can try ShareSite for free and track up to 10 holdings. But if you have more than that, then I have a special offer which allows you to get four months for free when you purchase an annual premium plan. If you want to check it out and free yourself from your spreadsheets, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash ShareSite. I know today's guest extremely well, but despite this, I still learned a lot about her from our chat, and I'm excited to share this one with you because this week I talked to one of my older sisters, Liz. Now, Liz has a really interesting money journey thus far, and over the years, as her sister, it has had me on the sidelines scratching my head a bit over some of the decisions she's made. I often say of the sister that she is unendingly positive, annoyingly so at times, always a glass half full person and if things go wrong for her then she knows the only outcome is that things will improve shortly. She is little Miss Happy or if she is having a bad day she will be little Miss Happy shortly. Now just to give you some background on Liz, she is 46 years young Actually born in Australia, she moved to New Zealand when she was just two and after finishing school her career started out in the New Zealand Air Force, after which she moved into the New Zealand Police where she has done some pretty amazing things, including being one of just a few women to serve on the Armed Defender Squad here in New Zealand. She's published three books, none of them about money, and I'll put links to them in the show notes. And Liz tends to use up every single minute in a day doing something constructive. She is currently living in Oz with her husband Mike and they both work for the Northern Territory Police now and they have one child, my beautiful 15-year-old soccer-mad nephew. And most of the time they also actually have a family friend living with them too so they are pretty much a family of four. They're over there working to get ahead financially before returning to New Zealand in another year or two and it was money that led them to Oz but we're going to come back to that shortly. Throughout our chat we referred to the old Liz and the new Liz and this was because in the last year they've had a huge financial reawakening. She has never done anything by halves and up until recently that included spending money. A lot of it and it went a little bit like this. She and Mike made very good money and it went into a bank account. Mike paid the bills and she paid scant attention. If either of them wanted something, they bought it. If they did not have the cash, they borrowed from their bank and then they bought it. Like a Harley Davidson, the latest iPhone, house renovations, you name it, they had it. They were well and truly on the consumerism merry-go-round with no immediate plans to get off it. 
Growing up in our family, money was often hard to come by and Dad told us that rich people were actually no good and they looked down on poorer people like us. For Liz, the story from a young age was always that she couldn't afford to buy or do what she wanted and as a result, she developed a mindset of deprivation. And from there, Liz reckons she developed an unhealthy relationship with money and that in turn developed into an unhealthy relationship with other people and their money. And she recalls a previous relationship where she was constantly told by her partner that she was awful with money when in reality he was. And looking back, she feels that without the influences of others and had she been left to her own devices, it would have actually been a different story. And once she came to understand this, she then knew she had to break down that mindset over time and turn her relationship with money into a more healthy one. So straight into the questions I asked Liz, why don't people want to talk about money? And she answered that it's possibly because there are potentially not that many people around who have a saving mindset. Their pool of friends and acquaintances are similar to themselves and possibly don't have much success with money. The people they know, they don't talk or crow about success and in turn they don't crow or talk about their mistakes either. So there is actually no opportunity to learn off others' mistakes or successes. Then I asked Liz if I gave her $10,000 right now, what would she be doing with it? The short answer was index funds. And I know for a fact if I had asked her that four years ago, she would have said she would put it towards several mortgages that they had or maybe even a holiday. So that's a huge change. Now, what are her three main financial habits, things that she just automatically does? Number one, and here is where she referred to the old me and the new me, the new Liz would pay the required bills first. Number two, money would go into investments that they have recently set up. And number three, any leftover money would be used for day-to-day living. And that succinct answer led me on to asking what her money elevator pitch is, a sentence that would sum up her approach to money, and it's simply, money works for you. So with that in mind, I asked her about her biggest financial triumph. She told me she finally figured out in 2016-2017 that money makes money. That is her triumph, and it is a really, really important one. And I'm pleased and proud to say that hearing me bang on about personal finance, both in person and via my blog, has helped her in some small way to work it out for herself. And at this point, I'm thinking that I really need to start interviewing more couples because here she credits Mike for really driving and pushing their change in finances along. He was beginning to put two and two together and coming up with a number that didn't have debt attached to it. And she began to see the changes he was making with their money actually working. They began to heavily research options and found their own way through a really tough financial situation that they found themselves in. Even though they were on very good salaries with the police in New Zealand, they were really on financial struggle street due to the things they were doing with their income. They had a high amount of debt tied up in mortgages, they had invested in a business that failed, they were big spenders and they needed to do something drastic to turn their lives around. Upping sticks in 2014 and moving to Australia was the start of making big changes and a long-term commitment to their financial future. Now, the Australian police were offering huge financial incentives to move there. Being an Australian citizen had its advantages for Liz, and although they didn't really want to go over there, sometimes things have to be tough to make life better. 
Next, I asked Liz what was her greatest financial flop. And without a doubt, this was committing to something without researching it properly and going into business with a friend in the belief that it truly was destined to be a huge financial success as it was sold to them as you just can't lose. Of course, in hindsight, it was a get-rich-quick scheme for the person they went into business with and they were scammed and in the words of Liz, well and truly shit upon. They suffered a substantial financial loss and were gutted that they both got suckered into a really bad business idea by someone that they once trusted. But, (laughs) there's always a good but, out of that worst decision came the very best decision to move to Australia and get their life financially back on track and that's exactly what has happened. And Liz said that sometimes you learn more from failure than success and your worst mistake can become your absolute greatest triumph. See, I told you she was a positive person. So next I asked her if she could retain all of the knowledge that she has today regarding money and she could go back to her 15-year-old self and start all over again, what would she do, whether it be the same or something different? She said she would do something different for sure. She would go with what she has learned more recently about making money work for her by saving it. She does not like to look backwards, but if she tallied up all the money she has earned since she started working at the age of 17, her outcome would be financially quite, quite different. She remembers her very first paycheck. It was in 1989 and she was in the New Zealand Air Force and she had to line up for pay parade where she was handed a small brown envelope with cold, hard cash folded up inside. It was about $150, she recalls, which was a huge amount for a 17-year-old fresh out of school. And she remembers ringing mum and saying, I have my first pay and I will send some home. But mum said, no, you earned it and you spend it. So she started spending and she never really stopped. And with that first paycheck, she bought a pair of basketball boots and she obviously listened to mum's encouragement and she spent it all pay after pay. And whilst there were good saving schemes on offer in the military, her participation in those schemes was actually destined not to last. So asked whether she would go without to get ahead or spend today because she might be gone tomorrow, she had two answers for me. The old Liz would have said if she wanted something, she just bought it, whether it was using their money or the bank's, and they had a lot of borrowed money tied up in houses and also consumer debt. The new Liz, whom her friend has taken to calling Minimalizzie, used a really recent example to show how much she has changed. Recently, she wanted to buy a particular item and Mike and her researched it thoroughly online. They discussed it together and then they walked into town to buy it. But fortunately, the shop was closed and on their walk home, they actually realised that they didn't really need that item anyway and they were actually grateful the store was closed and it got them to thinking, that every dollar that they don't spend goes to work for them in their investments and brings them one day closer to returning to New Zealand. On to my next topic of discussion, which is that four-letter word, debt. They began their life together with one property, and over the years they steadily traded up to bigger and more expensive properties and took on more debt to get there, as you tend to do here in New Zealand. They recently sold the house they used to live in in central Otago. They had it rented out with the thought that they would return to it, but in deciding to sell it, they have moved one more step ahead financially because they were able to pay down significant debt that they had on it. 
Now Liz and Mike have lesser debt and it's tied up in two properties in Australia now, no New Zealand property left, and one is a rental property and one is the property that they currently live in, and when they return to New Zealand, this will become a second rental property for them. Because of their jobs and the fact that they live in Alice Springs, the Australian government pays them pretty well to stay there, about $300,000 a year combined, and being a citizen, Liz was actually entitled to a first home buyer's grant when they purchased a house. The police offer them a free house that the police pay the rent on or you can buy your own property like they did and they give you a housing allowance just for the pleasure of living in Alice Springs. Now this is a substantial draw card as the costs of living there are very high and they are very lucky in the fact that their rental property is actually rented back to the police which is very beneficial because they are paid regardless of whether it is tenanted or not which is fantastic. Liz now expects to be mortgage-free in seven years and they have a structured plan to pay this back. They will then own both properties outright and will be able to receive rental income to live on. They now own, like I say, no property in New Zealand, but when they come back, their plan is to buy something small and very affordable. Having always had mortgages on a variety of houses, I was interested in how they structure their loans. And like many people I speak to, they change their mortgage structure around as their situation changes. They used to have only a fixed-term mortgage, but have just taken a portion of it to revolving credit. They had tried it before, but as you may have guessed, were terrible with it due to their spendy ways and they kept maxing it out. But now it's a whole different kettle of fish as they now have something they were lacking before, the discipline, to stick to a plan and a budget. They can draw down on it again if they need to, but it now has to be a very solid argument for them to do this, and they now use an offset account, and this means they can throw chunks of money at their debt, and the offset account reduces the fixed interest amount, she tells me. Now, it is hard to attract staff to Alice Springs, so their employers work hard to get people to stay in the territory, and they throw money at them as an incentive to stay. Call it danger money if you like. They each earn very good salaries, but added to this are constant financial windfalls due to the nature of their work, and they are able to put these unexpected bonuses towards their debts. So who helped them set up their mortgages in Australia was a question on my mind. They actually found a mortgage broker who is independent from banks, although Liz does understand that despite this, they probably do have a few loyalties and relationships to certain banks. They had done enough research on their own, or Mike had at least, and before they sat down with them, they knew what they wanted to achieve and they used him to help make it happen. They have not used a financial advisor because she figures they have learned enough about the wrong way to do things that using that learning they can actually find the right way on their own. Now their mortgage payments on their home and rental house are $1,200 per fortnight and she also pointed out that there are tax deductions that they can earn as well which work in their favour. And they are also extensively renovating the home they live in at the moment by replacing the two most expensive rooms in the house, a kitchen and a bathroom. So that is soaking up a bit of cash at the moment as well. Now, I mentioned Liz and Mike are a busy little couple and uh, they have one other interesting venture running in the background. Before they had even considered leaving New Zealand for Australia, they had started up what's called The Pod. It is a small camper van rental company here in NZ and they had the intention to grow this over time. 
They made the decision to keep it running and to also keep building it while they are away. So Mike in particular is very involved in the business from afar and he works with their full-time employee here in New Zealand running it. If you, like me, wondered what they were doing with the rest of their ample salary, uh, they are heavily investing in new vehicles to meet the demand and they are pleased they kept it going because when they return to New Zealand, they expect uh, this business to be their main source of income. So they are juggling quite a few things. they got work, a rental property, a renovation, a teenager, and a business. So in regards to money, what keeps Liz awake at night, I asked. And in typical Liz fashion, she said it was excitement. She is excited thinking about what to do with the money they earn, and she also thinks a lot about getting home, perhaps building a tiny house, and living a life of independence. Often my next question is a bit redundant because most of the people I talk to have worked out that saving is really important if you want to get ahead. So I asked Liz, does she consider herself a spender or a saver now? The old Liz used to be a big spender and it was an immediacy thing. I want it, I get it. And she said that banks bought into that philosophy without question. But now she calls herself a saver and there is definitely an exclamation mark at the end of this sentence. So does she keep an emergency fund? They sure do. They have about $5,000 in a separate account at any one time. Often she has to fly home to help family at very short notice. So it could be used to purchase plane tickets at short notice if needed. And an observation I've made is that everyone has a different amount earmarked as their emergency money. And it tends to sit between five to $20,000 with those used to lending money sitting at the lower end and those who are not sitting at the higher end and having more cash available because they just don't have the ability to go and borrow it. So with debt being very much a part of her life for so long, when did she actually make a start on saving and investing? So over her working life, she had been offered what were quite generous government-assisted schemes which she turned down, but she was part of the New Zealand Police Superannuation Scheme and it was a forced way to begin and she probably resented it a bit when she had to pay into it. But in all honesty, her saving began in absolute earnest about four years ago when she left New Zealand and it is actually only in the last year that they have now taken it incredibly seriously. Now in her mid-40s, she thought, do I really want to work till 65? And the answer was a big heck no. They want to stop in their late 40s and are now focused on making that happen. And she said that thank God she didn't wait till their 50s or their 60s to have their financial reawakening. Liz said earlier that she does not like to look back too often. But when she thinks over the years of all the money she could have put aside and didn't, she can't help but wonder where she would be right now. But it is never too late to start and start they have. So next I asked her straight up for a list of what she invests in. So like I mentioned, they've got the two properties in Alice Springs and now they have index funds because they live in Oz, they have to invest from there using their platforms and they are buying into a couple of funds, uh, an international uh, fund, a whole of market fund and the VTSAX is the next one that they're going to be getting into. They are also both part of the Northern Territory Government Super Scheme And although they don't get the member tax credit in New Zealand, they are also both part of KiwiSaver 2. The pod, the business they operate back in New Zealand, is another investment they are actively involved in 
and Liz also receives small royalty checks, very small, uh, from the three books that she has written. It's bugger all, she tells me, just $50 here and there. Hey, but income is income, right? So regarding their New Zealand business, their focus is that every investment that they make, they aim to have a return. And they have put a lot of money into the company to increase their vehicle fleet, but the return is greater than what they put in because the business is actually performing really well. It is a long, slow haul to build it up, but it's just another form of investment. And retirement for them will be having strategic control over the company and making decisions about how it grows and operates, but not actually having day-to-day life taken over by it as they envisage having some capable staff to help them do that. They envisage spending a couple of hours working in the business each day and doing whatever makes them happy with the remainder. Uh, Some money is easy to make and some harder. Setting up a company is a really long-term project and it is setting them up well financially, she tells me. So what has she invested in in the past but she no longer uses today? Liz sold the home they used to live in but turned into a rental property when they left New Zealand. They sold it because for the value of the property, which was about $800,000, and the rental income and all the costs associated with owning a home meant it was just not financially worth it and it was not paying its own way. When they leave Australia, they will keep the Australian houses because of the type of location they are in, where the rental return calculations actually work and will work even better when there is no mortgage involved. They were just simply flogging a dead horse in New Zealand and they kept topping it up to make it work, but they came to realise that it was never going to. So what is her splurge? The thing she knows is a waste of money, but she does it anyway. Uh, Wine, (laughs) this was her answer, but that's not a waste of money, is it? She tells me she considers it an investment in her happiness. Also, both her and Mike have always been gym goers, so they have gym associated costs. They are, I have to say, two of the few people I know that buy a gym membership and actually use it. And fitness is a really important part of their lives and they really enjoy um, going there and spending that money on doing it the proper way is their splurge. And of course it offsets the wine that they drink too. Now Liz is always busy, so with everything she has going on in her life, I asked her what fulfills her the most today, with my guess being it's probably not money related. And she told me that family play a big part in her happiness. And these days her happiness is not money related, but comes from just enjoying today and making sure she now stops to smell the roses. Now, what about that other family member, their son, my nephew? Do they save for him? Do they help him? Yes, he has KiwiSaver in New Zealand and also an Australian government super scheme. With their newfound saving knowledge, they have also set him up with two index funds and a savings account. And his 15th birthday present was incredible. It was those index funds and, if I recall correctly, a blog written by me, his auntie, trying to teach him some financial know-how. So they make him pay a total of $100 into those funds per month, whether he likes it or not, no excuses. He has an after-school job where he earns $10 an hour. I actually had to check that because I thought that can't be true. But yes, that's an Australian junior pay rate. So if he only makes $105 over the month because he chose to work a little bit less, he is tough out of luck and only has $5 left to spend. And he is still a spender. He wants to go out and buy takeaways and all things soccer related. But he is being forced to save and learn and they are trying to guide him to be good with money. 
Now, Lizzie's advice is to teach your kids the right way with money and don't let them start their financial reawakening in their 40s like she has had to. And she tells their son he could be retired by 30 if he wanted to be, which I'm sure is a hard thing for him to imagine, given the fact that he has barely started working himself. I asked Liz, since she's now teaching her son, what was the one piece of advice, either good or bad, that our parents taught her about money and what does she wish they had taught her that she has since worked out for herself? Oh God, where do I start was her immediate response. Unfortunately, she can't think of any good advice they gave, but because she always finds the silver lining, she realised that one thing she always held on to is that property can make money. Now, our parents always bought and sold houses as we moved around the countryside, and every time they really did turn a pig's ear into a silk purse, they were very, very good at that, and over the years we watched as through a lot of hard work, they turned a property around and made pretty good capital gains. I'm not sure if they quite saw it that way, they perhaps more simply had bought the house they could afford and it generally needed a huge amount of work that they were prepared to do to make it livable. The upside was that it was generally worth more when they moved on. A money memory for Liz was when she joined the Air Force at 17 and they started her in an investment scheme with sovereign insurance. It was some kind of super scheme she remembers and she recalls Dad saying that she did not need it and that it was a waste of money so she took his advice and pulled all her money out and lost a lot through doing that. And if it had still been going on today, it would have undoubtedly had a high value. So what does she wish they had taught her about money? She wished she had learned that the way ahead is to save and financial freedom lets you spend the precious time you have doing what you want to do. So Liz left school and went straight into the armed services. So what level of education did she get to? She received university entrance at high school and when she joined the Air Force they taught her technical trades and having been in the police a very long time now she has endlessly studied and moved up and down the ranks as you do in the police and in amongst a life spent continuously studying, they really do study all the time, there was not one thread or shred of financial training. How stark is that? So To make up for it, how much does she engage in her financial education now? She had to admit that Mike does most of the research work around investing, but they talk a lot about what he has worked out and she does follow along and understand it. If she finds she does not, then she will actively go out and learn it. And Mike has become very motivated and interested in personal finance, which is terribly exciting for me. And he has a business mind and is now passionate about business and finance, which is great. And because through Mike, Liz now has an understanding of it, she is so much more engaged than she ever was. And I figure that as long as you are operating as a team, which they clearly are, then it's all good. And it's pretty much the same at my house. I'm far more into this than Johnny is. So how would she describe her money relationship with Mike? And her answer was blissful. And then she gave a bit of a giggle. And again, she mentioned the words financial reawakening because together they have changed their mindset from how much they don't have to how much they actually do have. And while they do still have debt, they now have control over it. And that is the key. And that is what was missing before. 
Also, they are each other's sounding board and handbrake to a degree because one might think of something they want to buy and the other will point out how much it will set them back as a family. And now missing is the out-of-control approach to money that she has lived with pretty much her whole life and now that they have control over their money and they have a plan to actually follow, their relationship is amazing and very much on the same page, which is awesome. Now Liz says she leaves a lot of the learning to Mike, but I can vouch for the fact that she is quite hooked into the personal finance community because she sends me quite a few blog posts and podcast recommendations and often when I phone her I'm interrupting one of them. So she must have a few choice recommendations for us, surely. And I'm going to link to them on the show notes on thehappysaver.com. She discovered The Barefoot Investor quite recently when I told her she had to read it and she loved it and it has been a real driver in helping them pivot and move in the right direction. Another um, podcast she likes is actually Slowly Sipping Coffee and The Mad Scientist and she also likes The Minimalists and she picks out pieces of interest from their podcasts. Now for Liz, minimalism has been a game changer and she has finally realised how much unnecessary wastage of money there has been through buying products and trying to keep up with the Joneses. Bearing in mind that this is my sister who has, or should that be had, a collection for pretty much everything because why just stop at buying one thing when you can buy four more that match? So for a maximum spender and buyer of things, I'm still adjusting to the new minimalism, but I'm really liking what I see. She gave me an example of minimalism at work when a few uh, months back they came home from the supermarket and found themselves locked out of the house, and they had to wait for their son to come home, and he had the key. It was hot, but they had chilled wine in their groceries, so she found an old jam jar outside, gave it a good wash, and sat there in the shade drinking out of it. She said she felt quite the innovative character because the old Liz would have driven back to the store to buy a set of six expensive wine glasses. So now for some quick nuts and bolts. How does she pay her bills? Generally, they've got an automatic payment for all foreseen bills, and as they come in, they program them for the last day of payment, which keeps money in their bank account as long as possible. She very rarely gets cash out these days, just occasionally for school-related things, but she does think that cash is tangible, and it does make you more accountable than just swiping a card. Does she chase reward points on a credit card? Yes, they do. And in 2017, they started travel hacking for an upcoming trip in 2018, and they are flipping cards. Now, being in Australia, there are a few more options than New Zealand, and they are signing up for cards, using that card to achieve the rewards, then stopping using it and moving on to the next one. And they have learned that generally the reward schemes are just designed to enable them to buy more stuff that they just don't need. So they are chasing the rewards that they can turn into air miles so they can travel more cheaply. And I still can't believe I'm hearing my sister say that they now don't need more things in their house and that she has finally worked out that credit cards are designed for people who are not going to pay them back in time. And in the past, she was not disciplined enough and did incur interest, but now she's finally has the credit card working for her. And this is because she has dramatically changed her outlook on the money in her life. Well, <laughs> where to begin wrapping this up now for the long Southland goodbye? I just know that so much of what she talked about today is relevant to my listeners and I picked up on the question of why don't people talk about money and she referred to their group of acquaintances and friends being people who don't talk about it 
So as a result, don't discuss what is working and what is not working for them. And the way I look at that is that it's important to mix with the right people, those who support good choices, not those who don't. But they had to come to this in their own time, and I guess that is part of what she refers to when she talks about a financial reawakening. They didn't realise that they were surrounded by people who couldn't help them. And I know from my blog and all the emails I receive that there are so many Kiwis itching to ask questions about money. So if you are that person, start talking to your friends. If they shut you down, ask the next person and the person after that and seek out those people who will help you answer the questions that you have because it is so important. Otherwise, you'll just keep doing the same things and you'll get the same results guaranteed. Now, that very first pay that Liz received at age 17 seemed to start a pattern that continued on for the next 29 years. And it was a simple pattern of earn money and spend money. And when all that was spent, start borrowing money and keep staggering through life from paycheck to paycheck or until you crash. Now, Liz and her husband have given the consumerism style the biggest try of anyone I know, and it just about broke them. More, more, more and better, better, better is a path that they relentlessly pursued. And the financial extravagance of investing in a bad business almost wiped them out financially as they had pushed themselves so close to the brink. But the beauty of people is that with learning, understanding and a deep energy to change, it is so possible to turn things around for the better. And the word minimalism sums up her new approach. And man, is it working for them. They have finally come to understand that taking on massive debt to get ahead is fundamentally flawed. And for them, understanding that owning what you have living within your means, saving and investing will in the end provide you a much more stress-free life and ultimately a much happier life. Revolving credit mortgages are repeatedly coming up in the conversations I'm having and it's worth mentioning that if you are a spender, it will not work for you. Don't even go there. As they found out the hard way, they had to change their mindset to make it work for them and a revolving credit mortgage is for the far too few amongst us who have a long-term outlook and a discipline to always spend less than we earn. Otherwise, your debt stays the same or, God forbid, increases. To hear them talk about how their rental property in New Zealand was not working out for them was actually quite refreshing because too often, in my very humble opinion, rentals are seen as the sole way to invest and achieve financial success in this country. For a long time now, I could not see how a rental return of $400 per week plus outgoings for maintenance on the home plus a phenomenal amount of interest payments could ever pay down the mortgage on an $800,000 property. For me, the math simply did not stack up. In my view, it's important to talk about our rental failures because they are occurring throughout New Zealand every single day, particularly as our housing costs march relentlessly upwards. So it comes back to talking about money again. If you think a rental property is an option for you, then go find yourself a cross-section of people who argue for and against the merits of it. Don't just use your bank as your advisor. They're Australian properties. They do seem to make sense to me, but certainly not the New Zealand one. As a couple, they have always been tight and together they used to spend up a storm. The fact that now together they push their energy into clearing debt and investing in their future is excellent and is already working really well for them. 
And I said at the beginning how Liz is endlessly positive and she said that you can learn so much from other people's mistakes and I really hope that you do learn from hers but also if you are struggling yourself to get ahead you sometimes have to take big action and in their case it was uprooting their entire life and moving to the boondocks of Australia when they would far rather be home in New Zealand. But with such a passionate desire to fix the mistakes they had made and learn new ways, they've found that with big risks do come big rewards. And I'm just so very grateful that she was willing to share both her failures and her successes with me in our chat. So it's been my observation that a flash lifestyle is all well and good when you are young and you can handle the debt. But what about the day that the job that oils the debt machine loses its joy or you lose your job? By then, the consumer debt acts as a huge inhibitor and you move from going to work because you want to, you love it, to going because you have to. Now, I've observed that this tends to happen to people in their 40s who have already worked 20 plus years and they start to think, is this it? Is this really it? I just keep working till I retire at 67? The sooner you work out that that's not the path you want to take, hopefully the sooner you can work out to put a strategy in place to stop that being your course of action. Wow, what a journey. If you found Lizzie's money journey helpful, it would mean a whole lot to me if you left a quick five-star review in Apple Podcasts. This is one of the best ways for other people interested in personal finance to discover the podcast. So until next week, happy saving. Happy saving.